Matthew chapter 1. You know, there's one a question that often comes to our minds when we think about Christmas. And especially if you are, are talking with people of other faiths, especially cult people involved in the cults, a lot of them don't, don't believe that Jesus Christ is God. They don't believe that uh, he is the same as God the Father. And uh, they, there's a real problem with that. And last week we talked about the Trinity and we discussed how the Trinity with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all three of them are one being, three persons and one being. But I want us to focus this morning on Jesus Christ and how the... Jesus Christ is truly God. And, you know, that is a question that can come to our minds sometimes because you do read some scriptures and say, well, why is he called the Son of God? And uh, why, you know, how could he be the Son of God if he's down here on earth and the Father's in heaven? How could they be the same being? And the cults play up on this one here and they they say, you know, they make a mock of that and say, how could could Jesus really be God if he's down here and the Father's up there and they're praying? And, you know, and they make a mock of that. But how do we answer those questions? Well, I want to give you some scriptural defense so that you can understand what the Bible says about the deity of Christ. When we talk about that deity, we're talking about the fact that he was God. And last week we saw that he was part of the Trinity. Today we're going to look, focus specifically on this. And I'm going to, the message this morning, honestly, is mostly verses. And I'm going to be reading a lot of scriptures, giving you a lot of ammunition of things that will help you to understand. Some of them, you know, the cults may laugh at and mock or push aside or make excuses for, but they can help you to build your faith stronger. You know, the scriptures tell us that our faith is built by the word of God. You know, he says there in Romans chapter 10 and verse number uh, 17, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And we can have stronger faith in the scriptures and the truth of scripture as we understand what scripture says. And so keep that in mind as we dig into some of these passages. We're going to be looking some in the Old Testament, comparing them with ones in the New Testament. Others are just New Testament verses, but verses that I think can be of help to us if we understand what they mean. And so this morning we're going to start out with verse uh, verse number 23 of Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1 and verse number 23. And as we look at this verse, it says, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. That is an important verse for us. God tells us here that that little babe that was born in Bethlehem was God with us. God came down to this earth, and he took upon him the form of a man, and he became the God-man, something that we can't fully comprehend. How could he be God? How could he be man at the same time? Was he more God than man? No, I believe he was 100% God, but he was 100% man. And you say, well, that doesn't add up. You know, you can't have 100% and 100% equals 100%. But with God, it can. God can do things that we cannot do. And God took upon him the form of of a servant and became a man. And here we see that he was called God with us. And as we focus on this idea of Jesus Christ being God, another great verse is over in the book of Philippians chapter 2. And I encourage you to follow along in your Bible. Look them up, highlight them, or write them down so you can highlight them later. Uh, But in Philippians chapter 2, and I want us to look at verse number 6. Philippians 2 and verse 6. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. 
Jesus is being spoken of here. We see that in verse number 5. It says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God. That word form literally refers to the fundamental nature of God. Being in the fundamental nature of God. So, Jesus Christ was in the fundamental nature of God. And it says that he thought in that robbery to be equal with God. Those are kind of complicated words. The word thought in our robbery is, is a word that has to do with the fact that Christ did not consider it to be wrong for him to be God because he was God and he did not consider it to be something that he needed to grasp onto. He was willing to set that aside to a degree when he came to this earth. Alright? And he set set aside some of his godness, I suppose you could say, in a sense. I've got to be very careful how I put that, because he was still God. But he set aside some of the things. Obviously, when he came down, I mean, he, he did not present himself as the almighty God. For example, in the Old Testament, when Moses asked God to be able to see God, what did God tell him? No man can see me and live. I mean, yet Jesus Christ, in a sense, set aside some of that glory so that man could see him in a human form without dying. So there's things that he did set aside, and that's what the verse is talking about. It's a, somewhat of a complicated verse there at the end. But I want us to see that first thought there, that being in the form of God or the fundamental nature of God. All right, then over in the book of Hebrews, chapter 1. All right, a few more chapters back to the back of your Bible. Hebrews, chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, and Hebrews has got a lot of stuff in it about the Lord Jesus Christ that's very helpful, but verse, verse number 3 of chapter 1, Hebrews 1, verse number 3, who being in the brightness of his glory, now it's talking about God, All right, well maybe I should start up in verse number 1, it'll help us so we don't get confused. Verse number 1 says, and God who uh, in sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, who hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, and by whom also he made the, the worlds, who being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. I did that phrase there, expressed image. It literally means the exact copy. He was the exact copy of God's image. Right, so he was the expressed image of God, or is of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now all of this you see about Jesus Christ here is, is, is depicting him as far above anything that we can comprehend in our human existence. He was far above man. He was far above the angels. As you read through the book of Hebrews, the the key word of the book of Hebrews, or at least one of the key words, is the word better. He is better than man. He's better than the priest. He's better than the angels. He's better than them. You know, all of these things that men held as very high and and, uh, uh, holy, he was better than all of those things because of who he was. He was God in human flesh. We find another verse over in Titus chapter 2. All right, so back up a little bit here. Titus chapter 2, and look at verse number 13. Titus chapter 2 and verse 13. 
looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, as you look at this, in the English we don't see what you can see when you look at it in the original language. In the original language, there's one definite article before God, but there's not a repeated one before Savior Jesus Christ. And when that happens, when there's one definite article and two nouns like that, it means that both of those nouns are the same thing, just as a different name. All right? So if that didn't make any sense, just ignore it. But it, it's, there's a special rule. It's called the Granville and Sharp rule in the Greek language. And it, it says when that happens, when there's a definite article and two nouns, both of those nouns are the same thing. So here when it says he is the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, He's saying he is God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. They're both the same thing. He's not separate. They're both the same. And you'd have a hard time proving that to somebody that didn't want to believe that because you, you wouldn't be able to show them. And even if you could show them in the Greek, it wouldn't mean anything to them either. So, but that's something you can tuck away in your mind as an assurance in your heart. That, and this isn't the only place in the Bible that does this. There's several different places that have this form uh, in there to prove that Jesus and God are the same being. Here's another one. Back in John chapter 20, Jesus, when he had resurrected, John chapter 20, he had resurrected from the dead. And remember, the first time he appeared to his disciples, he appeared to the ten disciples. Judas, by this time, was dead. He had hung himself. And the ten disciples were in the upper room, and Jesus met with them and showed himself to them. And they all told Thomas, who wasn't there that night. And they told Thomas and said, Thomas, Jesus is alive. We saw them. And what did Thomas say? He says, unless I can see with my own eyes and put my hand in, my, in the hole in his hand and it's in the hole in his side, I will not believe. And then we see here, and Jesus appears to them another time, and Thomas is present. And verse number 28 of John 20. John 20, 28 And Thomas answered, well, let's back up to 27 and get the context. Then saith he to Thomas, reach hither thy finger and behold my hands. Reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, my Lord and my God. Now, that was blasphemy if Jesus wasn't God. And Jesus would have immediately said, don't talk like that, Thomas. That, God's going to strike you down. That's blasphemy. You, but he, Jesus never spoke a word against it. He accepted it. Why? Because it was true. He was his Lord and his God. And Jesus goes on in verse 29. Jesus says unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me and hast believed, blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Believed what? That he was alive and that he was God. And so Thomas has emphasized this for us. And Thomas, of course, had been, spent three years with Jesus. And, and he knew who Jesus was. He saw him. And there he recognizes him as his God. Now let's take a look at a couple of... Uh, a verse that I want you to turn way back to the Old Testament. And uh, it's Exodus chapter 34. And then we're going to be jumping back to the New Testament to compare it. Exodus chapter 34. And take a look at this verse, because this verse will help us to see the meaning of the New Testament. Exodus chapter 34, and look at verse number 14. 
Alright, now in this context here, uh, we see here that God is speaking. Verse number 14 says, And thou shalt worship no other God. For the Lord, all capital letters, is speaking of Jehovah. For Jehovah, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. So, he specifically says, there are no other gods but Jehovah. Now, turn over to the New Testament, back to Hebrews. You're going to get lots of exercise today, moving back and forth in your Bible, and I hope you'll follow along, because it'll be a help to you if you'll do that. Hebrews chapter 1 again. Hebrews chapter 1. And look at verse number 6. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse number 6. And again, being in the first, uh, bringing in the first begotten into the world, he saith, let all the angels of God, what's the next word? Worship him. Now, God just told us there's no other God but him. We're only to worship God. And now he says here that the God commanded the angels to worship Jesus Christ when he came into the world. We find also that Jesus' disciples worshipped him. Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. And look there at verse number 33. Matthew chapter 14, verse number 33. Matthew 14. And verse number 33. Matthew 14, 33. And they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. This is a situation where Jesus had come to sea, and they that were in the ship came and worshipped him. Once again, we see that Jesus is being worshipped by man. He's being worshipped by angels. And the Old Testament says that only God was to be worshipped. So again, you put the two together and you say, well, Jesus is taking something that belongs to God. And that's one of the reasons the Pharisees often got furious with Jesus because they said, you're making yourself God. And he was because he was God. And they didn't like that. They could see that, but uh, they they didn't like that. Then we find a, a very convincing one, I believe, back in the book of Psalm. Psalm 90, verse 2. Psalm 90, and look at verse 2. Psalm 90. Psalm 90, verse number 2. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Now, in the context there, that's speaking of Jehovah. Verse number one says, Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place. So it's t- talking directly about Jehovah. All right? So it's com- clearly talking about Jehovah, and it says that he formed the uh, he he he, uh, he brought forth before the mountains were brought forth. Thou hast formed the earth. All right, so he formed the earth and the world, and from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Everlasting means in eternity past to eternity future, 
He has always been God. In Micah chapter 5, Micah might be a little harder for you to find there, but it's toward the end of your Old Testament. Micah chapter 5, just after Jonah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum. All right, if you get in there, Micah chapter 5, and look at verse number 2. Micah chapter 5 and verse number 2. This was a verse that, remember the situation when the wise men came to Herod. This was a year, maybe a little longer, after Christ was born. In Matthew chapter 2, the wise men came to Herod and they said, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? And Herod then spoke to the rulers of the people, or the, the scribes and the Pharisees, and said, Tell me, where does the scripture say that where Jesus will be, or where the Messiah will be born? And they took him to this passage. Micah chapter 5, verse number 2. But thou Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is, to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been of old from everlasting. Now, it's clearly talking about Jesus Christ. The scribes and the Pharisees knew it was talking about the Messiah. And it says there that he was from everlasting. Now, there's only one being that's everlasting. That is God. There's only one being that's always been in eternity. That's God. So, once again, it's referring to Jesus Christ. And it was applied to Christ there in Matthew chapter 2 when he spoke that to the, to the uh, when Herod asked the Pharisees and the scribes to tell him where the Messiah would be born. Then back in the book of Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 8. Hebrews chapter 13. I told you you're going to get lots of exercise today so it's good for you to look in your Bible find these things. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 8. Hebrews 13, verse number 8. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yesterday, today, and forever. He isn't talking about today's Sunday, so it was yesterday, Saturday, and today. and then for, No, he's, he's obviously talking about forever in the past, and present, and forever in the future. He is the same. He doesn't change. He's the same. He's eternal. And so he's emphasizing the eternality of Jesus Christ. So all of these verses we've looked at this far clearly state the deity of Christ. He is God. And you know, in our minds, sometimes we will we'll read a verse. You know, the best thing you can do when you read a verse is say, yeah, but I don't get it. Why, did he, why is he called the Son of God? Or why, did, why does it look like he, was, he wasn't eternal? Anytime you find a verse that you, is confusing, what do you do? The thing to do is you find other verses that talk about the same verse and see how they talk about it. See how they explain it. The scripture is the best commentary on scripture that there is. You look at other scriptures and they'll support it and they'll help you to understand. And that's really what we're trying to do here this morning. Now, we're going to take some quotes from the Old Testament and see how they were fulfilled in the New Testament. First one is in Isaiah 7, verse 14. Very common verse. You've all heard this verse, Isaiah 7, 14. It's a Christmas verse, but it's an amazing verse when you look at what this says. Uh, but 
Verse number 14, Isaiah 7, verse number 14. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give unto you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and shall and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Call his name Emmanuel. Then that verse that we opened up with this morning, I won't make you go back there again unless you want to. Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. What did that verse say? Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted as God with us. So 700 years before Christ came into the world, it was predicted that he would be born of a virgin and that he would be called Emmanuel. And now... 700 years later, when it's fulfilled, the scriptures tell us that he was called Emmanuel and that it wasn't just uh, Matthew that was saying this. Matthew was quoting the angel that was speaking with Joseph. The angel told Joseph, he will be Emmanuel. And that means God with us. So we get it straight from heaven The angel sent down from God with this message to Joseph. God with us. Once again, back in Psalm 45. Psalm 45. Psalm 45. You know, one of the things you can do in your Bible with the verses that are linked to Old Testament and New Testament, you can take over in the New Testament right in the reference, the Old Testament reference, and then it'll help you to be able to cross-reference it yourself. Matthew chapter, or Psalm, Psalm Psalm 45 and verse number 6. Psalm 45, verse number 6. It says, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of thy kingdom is a scepter of righteousness. All right. So he is speaking of God. And he says, His throne is a scepter of uh, righteousness. Now, when we turn to the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 1. Again, Hebrews chapter 1. I told you Hebrews got a lot of good stuff in it about Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 1. We see the quotation played out here in Hebrews chapter 1. Paul, as he was writing about Jesus Christ here in Hebrews chapter 1, he mentions this, he quotes this verse from the Old Testament. Verse number 8. But unto the Son, he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. All right, now, clearly, it's a quotation from Psalm 34. Or Psalm, Psalm, sorry, Psalm 45, 6. Psalm 45, 6. So there's a quotation here. And here, it's actually designated clearly but to the Son, he said, Thy throne, O God, is forever. Now, if you're talking to a Jehovah's Witness about this verse, this verse won't work for you in that argument because they know that that is a, a powerful verse, and so their translation has twisted it and made it something different. So it doesn't say that. And so they, anytime they find a verse that, that uh, clearly presents Jesus Christ as God, they have distorted the verse so that it doesn't say that any longer. And so that does make it a little hard. But it's clearly speaking of the Son here, and it's clearly speaking of God in the Old Testament. You can point that out to them, and they can't deny that. And so that is a a help to us to help us to see that. Once again, we have another one in Psalm. Psalm 130. Psalm 130. 
Don't get weary of going back and forth. It's good for your practice. All right. If you don't yet know the books of the Bible, then it's a good thing to learn over the holidays. All right. Psalm 130, and look at verses 3 and 4. Psalm 130, verses 3 and 4. If thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? But there is forgiveness with thee, that thou mayest be feared. Now, these verses all by themselves are a great comfort. Look at what it says. If thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities. What is he saying? He's saying, God, if you, if you were to keep a tally of all the things that I have done wrong, I'm in trouble. I'm in big trouble. All right? So he says, if thou shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? There's none of us that can stand. If God keeps a tally of all the things, now God does know what we've done. All right? But then he goes on in verse number two or four, and he says, but, and I've highlighted that in blue, but there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. God has a, a tally of all the things that I have done wrong from the time I was a youth all the way till now, and his book is bulging. And yet there's forgiveness with God. That is awesome. That is a blessing. That is something we all need. I need God's forgiveness. You need God's forgiveness. And that is a wonderful, wonderful truth. There's forgiveness with God. Just this week I was listening to, I guess it was maybe yesterday even, I was listening to a a preacher, and he was preaching about God, and he was saying that our God is a great God, but he's also a good God. And that is awesome because our God is a great God. He is powerful. He is mighty. And all he'd have to do is say, that's it. You're done. And that's the end of me. But our God is a good God. He is merciful. He is loving. And he's forgiving. And so he emphasizes this here. God is a forgiving God. But then we turn over to the New Testament. Jesus was accused and hated by his enemies in Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. This is a situation where Jesus was preaching in a house full of people, cram-packed full of people. And some four men were carrying their friend to Jesus who was, uh, who was paralyzed. And they wanted Jesus to heal him. And they couldn't get any way to get in there. There's no way they're going to get into this crowd. It's packed. So they went up on the roof, flat-roofed houses. They tore up the tiling, all the branches and sticks and stuff that was there, and probably dust falling everywhere. And people down below, you can just hear what's going on. What's going on up there? They're tearing, they're, it's dusty down here. I can't hardly breathe. Give me your handkerchief. I can't breathe. Dust is falling down. And they let, let the man down through the hole. And Jesus... Look what he says to him in verse number 6. Matthew chapter 9 and verse number 6. Uh, let's look at verse... Let's go up a couple get the context. Um, verse number 3. And, certain, and, and behold, certain of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemed me. I've got to go one more back. Verse 2. And behold, they brought a, a man sick with the palsy on his bed. And Jesus, seeing their face, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer. Thy sins be forgiven thee. Now, only God can forgive sin. 
Behold, the certain, the certain of the scribes uh, said within themselves, This man blasphemes. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Wherefore think ye evil in your hearts? For whither is it easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and walk? But that, thou, but that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the sick of the palsy, Arise, take up thy bed, and, uh, and go into thine house. Now here's a man that they all knew. Local fella. Been paralyzed for years. And they knew he couldn't move a muscle. He just laid there on that bed. He couldn't move. He was paralyzed. And Jesus said, All right, you say I'm blaspheming because I said I can forgive his sins. What's easier, to say, I forgive you, or to say, get up and walk? And they all looked at him like, that'll never happen. And Jesus said, take up your bed and walk. And he stood up immediately and walked away. What was Jesus showing to them? I can forgive sins, just like I can overcome paralyzed situation. I can. And Jesus was doing what only God can do. Nobody can forgive sins but God. Now, sure, we can forgive each other of things that we do to each other. But as far as, if you come to me and say, Pastor, I've done a whole bunch of things and I'm afraid I'm going to go to hell, would you please forgive me? I'd say, sorry, I can't do that. I mean, if you say something mean about me and you say, please forgive me, I can forgive you for that. But I can't fix your sin problem that's going to take you to hell if you don't trust Christ. Only God can do that. And Jesus had that power and he showed that power to them. Another one back in Isaiah Isaiah 9.6. Isaiah 9.6. Another one of those Christmas passages. Isaiah 9.6. Isaiah 9 and verse number 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called, catch this, Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. What a title. The Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. And yet we read over in the New Testament that Jesus Christ fulfilled that. He became God in human flesh. John chapter 1 and verse number 1. John chapter 1, verse number 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You read through the chapter, and it's very obvious, especially you get down to verse number 14, it says, The Word word was made flesh and dwelt among us. It's obviously talking about the fact that Jesus Christ is the Word. All right? Very clear. You'd have to be blind not to see that. So it says here, the in the beginning was the Word, Jesus Christ, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And I pointed out last week that the Jehovah's Witnesses and maybe some others as well would take that verse and say, no, 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 it's not really talking about that. It says he was a God. But put this down. If you didn't catch it last week, catch it today. The reason they say that is because there's no definite article. It would be like in our English we'd say, um, uh, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was the God. And sometimes there is a definite article before a proper noun like that. Sometimes there is. It's not always the case. 
Sometimes there is. When it is, it very clearly says that this is a specific person. All right? Obvious. And the Jehovah's Witnesses are quick to point out and say, it doesn't have the definite article. It's talking about a God. So Jesus is not the God. He's not Jehovah. He's just a God. But you remember the three verses I told you about last week? Verse 6, 12, and 18. All right? They all go together. 1, 6, 12, 18. Remember that. Look down at verse number 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. There is no definite article on that word God either. They'll all agree that one's talking about Jehovah. All right? Look at verse 12. But as many as receive him, to them give you power to become the sons of God. No definite article again. But it's obviously talking about God. Verse number 18. No man has seen God at any time. No definite article. It's talking about God. And so they don't argue about those other three, but they hate that first one. But they don't talk about that. But if you show them that, I mean, you, you say, well, if they said to you, I'll prove it. Well, they have something that is really, in a lot of ways, it's against them. But I don't know why they ever produced it. But you can go online, you can type in jw.org, and you can, they have on there an interlinear. An interlinear means that it has the Greek words and a direct English translation of the Greek words. They have that of their own, of their own Bible. Right? And you look on <laughs> and many times it crucifies them because the Greek is clear, but their translation has twisted it. Right? It won't help you necessarily in this one except to prove to them that there's no definite article before the gods in those other three verses. But I'm going to show you another one that it does help you. That interlinear is really good in showing them this if you'll keep this in mind. Right? And then another verse that, uh, that I want you to see here in 1 John, way to the end of your Bible now. Don't get confused. There's the Gospel of John, then there's 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. 1 John, way to the end of your Bible. Look at chapter 5 and verse number 20. 1 John chapter 5 and verse number 20. 1 John chapter 5 and verse number 20. All right. 1 John 5.20 says, And we know that the Son of God is come and hath given unto us an understanding that we may know Him that is true and we are in Him that is true, even in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. The Son is the true God and eternal life. And he's called the eternal life here. He's called eternal life in, in the very first of the, uh, of the gospel here. Or the, in verse number 2 of chapter 1, he's he, uh, showing to you that eternal life. He's talking about Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the eternal life. And here he's called the true God. The scriptures are clear. You say, Pastor, I still don't get it. How can Jesus be God and God's in heaven? He don't worry about that. Believe it, because God says it. God is not like us. God is not one person in one being. He is three persons in one being. We'll never really fully comprehend that, because all we can grasp is what we are. We're one person in one being. And anything besides that doesn't make much sense to us. But that doesn't change the fact that God is greater than we are. All right, I must move on here. We find also in Exodus chapter 
13, or sorry, Exodus chapter 3 and verse 14. Exodus 3, verse 14. I'm going to have to speed up my time here because I'm dragging it out too much here. But uh, if you can't keep up, just write them down. Exodus chapter 3 and verse number 14 says, But God saith unto, uh, said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus saith uh, thou shalt, shalt, sorry, thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. I am. That God said, that's my name. I am. Then in John chapter 8, John chapter 8 and verse number 58, John chapter 8 and verse number 58, this is one of the times when the Pharisees wanted to kill Jesus for what he said. John chapter 8 and verse number 58, Jesus said unto, uh, unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, before Abraham was, I am. And they took up stones and to cast at him. But Jesus hid himself from them. He said, I am. I am Jehovah. I am that God of the Old Testament. And, you know, the, the strange thing is, you can take, this is where I told you you could take the, the Jehovah's Witnesses interlinear. You look it up, and what does it say? It says, it says, Jesus said unto them, before Abraham was, I am. It says right there in their own book. But they've changed it in their translation, of course. They've twisted it around and made it say something else. But they cannot deny it's right there. And every other time that they translated that word, I am, they translated I am. But this case here where Jesus said, I am, very directly referring to that time of Abraham, they changed that one and twisted it. All right? So be careful. Jesus Christ is the I am of the Old Testament. He is God. All right? few more here. Oh, I must move on here. I'm going too slow. Sorry about that. I may have to just read some of them instead of having you look them all up. Write them down. Joel chapter 2 and verse number 32. Joel 2.32. And it came to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord, that's Jehovah, all capital letters, the name of Jehovah shall be delivered. The quotation in the New Testament, Romans chapter 10 and verse number 9, Romans 10, 9 and 13, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved, verse 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Very clearly talking about Jesus Christ in Romans chapter 10, and very clearly talking about Jehovah God in Joel chapter 2, verse 32. Another one, Isaiah 45:23. And again, I'm not, I'm not going to go back and forth. I'll just I'll read them to you because I'm running out of time. Isaiah 45:23. I have sworn by myself, the word is gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return that unto me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear. Jehovah God is speaking here. He said, every knee will bow to me and every tongue shall swear. Over in Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 10. Philippians 2 and verse number 10. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. They're bowing to Jehovah God and now they're bowing to Jesus Christ. Why? Because they're both God. They're both God. Both Jehovah and Jesus Christ are called the first and the last. Isaiah 44, 6. Isaiah 44, 6. Thus saith the Lord, 
And that's Jehovah again, all capital letters. Thus saith Jehovah, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the, the, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Beside me there is no God. Revelation chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. You cannot possibly deny this. It's, it, you, you, you'd have to just change the text completely. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and, laid, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he, catch it, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Now who was dead and is alive? It wasn't Jehovah God. It was Jesus Christ. And you can't deny that. Jesus was dead and he is alive. And he is called the first and the last here. And in Isaiah, it's Jehovah God. And he is the first and the last. They're the same being. They're the same being. Two more. Malachi chapter 3 and verse number 6 says, I am, For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore the son, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. In Hebrews chapter 13 verse 8, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus doesn't change. Neither does God. Because they're the same being. Last one, Isaiah 48 verse 13. Isaiah 48 13. Mine hand also hath laid the foundation of the earth, and my right hand hath spanned the heavens. When I call unto them, they stand together. Now, the phrase laid the foundations. Now here, Jehovah God says, my hand, my hand laid the foundations, and my hand has spanned the heavens. That's important, because it is true, Jesus Christ did all that. And the Jehovah's Witnesses say, yes, God created Jesus first, and then he says, all right, now you go create everything else. That's what they teach. And how could God's hand lay the foundations if it wasn't God's hand, it was Jesus' hand, and the two of them aren't the same? We read over in the New Testament the, the comparison of this in Hebrews chapter 1 again. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 10 to 12. And thou, Lord, in the beginning has laid the foundation of the earth. It's speaking of Jesus Christ. He laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thy hands, and they shall perish, but thou remainest, and they shall wax old, but thou as a garment and as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed, but thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. Clearly, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 10 says Jesus Christ laid the foundations of the world. And in, in, the, uh, in Isaiah 48, 13, Jehovah laid the foundations of the world. Now, either they're contradicting each other, either one of them's lying, or else they're the same being. And I challenge you to believe that they're the same being. Now, I've showed you lots of verses. I'm sure there's many more that we could have looked at. These are probably some of the key ones that will help us. Now, why did I go into all that? Because I want you to be clearly convinced in your heart. Our Lord Jesus Christ, who came down to this earth 
and was born in a, as a babe in the manger is none other than God himself. He is the second person of the Trinity of God. And yes, that blows our mind. Yes, that's hard to comprehend. Don't let that trouble you. Our God is a great God. He is a great being. And it's awesome that he is far greater than us. I don't, I don't care. That, that doesn't trouble me at all that I can't comprehend how God can be three persons in one being. I am grateful that he's a much greater God than I could ever possibly be. That's for sure. And so our God is a great God. Now, as we think on these things, though our minds struggle to believe this or comprehend this, we see here that Jehovah God and Jesus Christ are the same being. Right? They're the same being. And they share the same titles, the same form, the same image, the same qualities, the same worship, the same abilities, the same praise, the same activities, because they are the same being. Just a different person. So Jesus Christ of Christmas is truly God. Jesus Christ is God. Now he became that perfect man in order that he might be able to die as our substitute. That is so important. In the evening messages I've been emphasizing that Jesus was born to die. That's why he came to this earth. To die for our sins. And he came to pay a price that we could not pay. He came to be our substitute. And he offers forgiveness and eternal life as a gift to you and me today. And you know, that is a gift that we have to personally receive. It's a personal gift. You know, I, I, am, I am privileged, and many of you couldn't say this, but I was privileged to be born in a Christian family. And my parents were Christian before they got married. And they grew up in Christian homes. And my grandparents were Christians. And I realize not many people can say that. But just because my grandparents were Christians and my parents were Christians didn't make me a Christian. I had to become a Christian myself by putting my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And that's why at Christmas time, if someone offers you a gift, that gift, you must take it yourself. It's not something that you can just say, well, I guess it's mine because they got it for me. If you don't take it, it's not yours. And so it is with salvation. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to this earth as God in human flesh that he might be able to die a death to pay for my sin and to pay for your sin. And he offers us forgiveness and cleansing if we will receive what he did in our behalf. But it has to be personally received. I can't receive it for you. You can't receive it for me. Our parents can't receive it for us. We can't receive it for our parents and other friends. And a lot of you have a burden for your lost loved ones. And you'd love to be able to receive Christ for them, but that's not possible. You can pray. You can ask God to work in their heart. But they've got to receive it themselves. But you know, the best thing we can do is receive Christ as our Savior and then let our light so shine before them that they might be able to see Jesus in us. That's what we need to do. Let Christ shine in your life. So this morning, ask yourself that very important question. Have I personally received Jesus as my Savior to wash me clean and to give me eternal life? If you've not received Him personally, you need to do that today. And it's not difficult. 
Except that the hardest part about receiving Christ is humbling ourselves and saying, I need it. We don't like to say, well, I'm guilty, I'm sinful, I'm, I, if I died right now without Jesus, I'd go to hell. We don't like to say that because that's humiliating and that's shameful. But that's the only way. See, he says, I'll save anybody. Remember, Jesus said, I came not to this world to save the righteous, but sinners. Because the self-righteous people said, I'm good enough. He says, I can't help them. But he can only help us when we humble ourselves before him. And if you've never done that, I re- urge you to receive Jesus today before it's too late.